best-selling author Courtney Peppernell is from Sydney, Australia. Her poetry collection, Pillow Thoughts, was a worldwide success. Her young adult novels and poetry books have struck a chord with young readers and the LGBTQ community. Her other works include I Hope You Stay, Watering the Soul, as well as Hope in the Morning, profits of which were donated to assist relief efforts for injured wildlife affected by Australian bushfires. Courtney Peppernell, welcome to The Creative Process. Thank you for having me. I believe we're going to start with a reading from Pillow Thoughts. Yes, I'd love to. I'm going to read the poem that started it all. It's called Looking for Ice Cream. We were in the grocery store. You wanted ice cream even though it was cold out. You couldn't decide which flavor and I was teasing you about being so indecisive sometimes. I suggested we just buy every flavor in the store and you laughed. It was the kind of laugh I could listen to for the rest of my life. You said I was silly and you kissed me, pressed against me so I could feel how cold the tip of your nose was. You were only in sweats, hair so messy from being in bed all afternoon. And in that moment, I knew I loved you more than anyone else I had ever loved. In that moment, I knew you were my once in a lifetime. And yet all we were doing was looking for ice cream. Some students have said your work is something that they turn to, particularly in these distressing times. It speaks to them. The language is clear. It's poetry, but it's direct, like a film voiceover or songwriting. Yes, that's one of my favorite ways that people describe the books. It's, it's like someone that they can turn to when they, they need a friend. I think particularly in my poetry books, I've created characters to go alongside the words, I suppose. So it started with the jellyfish and then it's kind of taken on with new characters as each book has come out. But for me, having this character that the reader can relate to, either see themselves in or just have this friend, that's important. Because I think people read poetry in like those really quiet moments, particularly late at night. I mean, I suppose that's why I came up with the title Pillow Thoughts. I know I do a lot of thinking late at night and when you're alone, I suppose. So it's really nice to feel that these books are a friend to the reader when maybe they are feeling more. Hi, my name is Megan. I absolutely love Pillow Thoughts. I remember the first time I picked up Pillow Thoughts was when I was in a bookstore and I remember scrolling through a couple of pages and reading some of your poems and I really loved it and it really connected with me. I thought it was just such a beautiful book and I think that was kind of one of the instances where I really started to love poetry and to love writing and it was something that I wanted to keep doing in the future. I love that. That's one of my favorite things, this sense of connection. So I think that that's a really beautiful thing. It's very organic when it happens that way. And you pick up a book and you don't know, I guess, what you're looking for. And then you find it right there in the pages. So I think that that's really beautiful. I guess that's one of the reasons why I continue doing what I do. I don't know what you were like as a young writer when you were just starting off. What was your path to writing? Look, I've had a really interesting Huh. I mean, I've had a beautiful life. When I was younger, I really struggled with my place in the world, as I, I think a lot of young people do. And I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I, I knew that I loved writing, but I also love animals. So I wanted to be a vet. I wanted to be a firefighter. I wanted to be a journalist. I wasn't quite sure where I fit. But I do remember when I was younger, I did it was like a creative writing class just after school. And I'll always remember the teacher there. Her name was Jan and she was very supportive of my writing and always told me that I had very lyrical writing. And so I guess it was born from there. I thought about it and thought maybe this is something that I could do. But then life gets in the way as you're navigating it. And I was actually working in insurance and I just happened to meet a friend there. And I said to him one day, I was like, I want to publish a book and I don't know how. 
can you help me? And he said, yes. And then we went on this journey of self-publishing first and we really learned what it meant to create a book because I had no idea. Like I didn't have any connections to the publishing world. I didn't go to school for any of that. I was in school for about a year and then I decided I wanted to travel Europe. So I really had no foot in the door. So we started this journey together and then would have been after I'd published my first novel, I got a little impatient. I think we'd read somewhere that a self-published author starts to climb the ladder, so to speak, when they've got about eight, on average, eight books out. So that was the plan to do that. And me being me, I got a little impatient. So I thought, well, I've got all this writing about feelings here. Let's put it in a book and publish that. And I did that. I didn't have any idea how much poetry had taken off in the States, like this contemporary poetry or modern poetry, pop poetry, Insta poetry, whatever. There's a million different terms for it these days, but I really didn't have any idea of the scope of that. And publishing pillow thoughts, I guess you could say I, I did it on a whim and I really only put it in the poetry genre because some of the pieces rhymed and there was no other genre that I could put it in. And then once I, I self-published that book, some pieces went viral and Two months later, I had uh, my publisher, Andrews McNeil, writing to me, asking to republish the book with them and that everything went from there. So my writing journey is unique because it's like I knew I always wanted to do this with my life, but the way it happened was I stumbled into it. But I know so much more now as I've gone along, which is why it's become important for me to offer those sentiments advice to other people who are looking to, to go down this road because I think it's hard to find answers still out there today about poetry and how you can be successful in poetry. And I think that's what makes my role special is to offer that guidance and, and offer that advice. So many people write poetry and it's just for themselves and they keep it in books. So I think what you've done is something that could give them courage to go forward. And it's something that you modeled yourself. I think it's daunting to submit to the big publishing houses or the agents. So it, it's really nice to hear that. You mentioned possible career paths, like you've thought about being a firefighter or a veterinarian. And I know that you wrote Hope in the Morning, this proceeds go to wires in response to the Australian wildfires. Yeah, that was important to me because I just felt like I had to do something. And I had been a volunteer for wires for a little bit and I just really wanted to give back because they do amazing work for the wildlife here in Australia so that book's pretty special to me I wrote it quite quickly and just threw it out there so but the response I got back from that has all been really positive that was a really cool thing to do for me personally yeah tell me about the volunteer work I, I don't know what it involves well, so it's basically an organization here and we have a, a membership and, and things like that. And you go on rescues. So you rescue wildlife. You can just do the rescues or you can also rehabilitate the animal. I had a case where I was raising baby lorikeets. So they're a kind of parrot, very colorful birds here in Australia. I mean, they're everywhere, really. I think I had about nine of them at the one time. So that was interesting. It was great because I got to see these birds grow and then I was the one to release them into the wild because that's what it's about. It's about rehabilitation and then 
release. So I, I found inspiration in that experience because these little birds hadn't been given the best start to life, but they get cared for and learn to survive and then they get released out into life. So yeah, probably a, a highlight of my life, I guess, because just watching them being released into the wild was really, really special. It was very cool. But what do you get from that communion with animals? I just think I've always loved animals from when I was young. There's just something about a connection that you can feel with an animal and I guess their their trust in you, particularly when it's a wild animal, because if a wild animal is hurt or is injured and in pain, they react quite differently to a domesticated animal, I guess. It could be scary, but it's the way that they express themselves and you have to try to understand their language and their body language and how they're expressing pain to you. And that gives you a better understanding, I think, of how you move through the world and how you express yourself and you communicate with people around you. I really feel that having that with animals, whether it be wild animals or, or I've got two dogs, that kind of different language that you can get from animals really helps me to be a, a better communicator in my life with, with people. Definitely all that nonverbal stuff that goes on and that our screen numbs us to. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. As I was reading, I noticed that the jellyfish was a large part of your book. How did you come up with the symbol of the jellyfish? I chose, when I was trying to choose a, a character for Pillow Thoughts, I, I think it's easier to understand. So I had started in novels. So my relationship to characters and developing characters had kind of, that was where I was at. So when I was looking at poetry, which was a different medium, I really was trying to figure out how to incorporate like character building um, within a poetry book. But when I sat down and, and thought about what kind of character I wanted, I really wanted something that was you know, transparent. I mean, you know, jellyfish are transparent anyway. So, um, but just something that a reader could look at and you couldn't tell where the jellyfish was from or what sexuality the jellyfish was or, or how the jellyfish identified or maybe the background of the, of the jellyfish. It was, it was as though it was a universal character and anybody could kind of relate to it. And that's the feedback you know, I've gotten about the jellyfish is that I get messages and emails from all walks of life, from different countries, to different age groups to people who identify one way or people who identify another way. And they all see themselves in the jellyfish. So that character is really about bringing us back down to our core as humans and the, the fact I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that we all feel things in life and, and the feelings of happiness or sadness or feeling alone or feeling joy or love or any of those things. It really doesn't matter who you are. We, we've all felt those things at one point in our lives. And I really think that the, the jellyfish was the best creature to embody that. I mean, trying to explain that to my publisher, they thought there's some Australians at my publishing house, they, and they think that I think of a jellyfish and jellyfish sting people and there's some poisonous jellyfish out there. So we had to do some work on convincing people that this is actually a nice jellyfish. <laughs> but yeah, I still wouldn't go swimming with actual jellyfish, but for the purpose of pillow thoughts, it's a nice jellyfish. 
And it's like science fiction. <laughs> and, and when I just think of the animal world and some fish have lights on their heads, <laughs> it's a beautiful other world down there. But it also has this wider metaphor as you touched on like fluid sexualities. And sometimes if we don't know you, we don't know what sexuality the narrator is, which is just so nice and open to anyone who might come to it. Yes, definitely. I love that. I love being, I guess it's about being accessible. As I said, being accessible to all kinds of walks of life and being accessible to someone, no matter how they identify, because I think that's important on a, a multitude of different levels. And so to capture that in a creature where so many people can identify with, it was very important to me. In Hello Thoughts, there are different sections like if you love someone or if you need encouragement. Was there any particular order these sections were set up in as if to tell a story chronologically? I'm going to get brownie points for this, but my wife actually came up with sections for pillow thoughts. You know, we were having this conversation and she said to me, you've got all this poetry and it covers like a, a broad range of, of feelings. Why don't we structure it like it's a playlist or like it's a, a chapter where if someone's feeling a certain way, they can open to this chapter. And it's all about feeling alone or feeling sad or, or being in love or going through heartbreak or, or what have you. So she, she really came up with, with that idea. And then I just said, hey, that's a great idea. Let's jump on that. So the order of Pillow Thoughts itself, and, and I guess this is the order that I've you know, adopted for the rest of the books that I've published. I like to have it as a journey. So a lot of the time when people are, are reading poetry, they're going through a journey and, and maybe their journey starts off where they're heartbroken or something hasn't gone to plan in their life. And yeah, so I, I really structured it as though you start with the heartache and you end with coming full circle. So that's what each of the books are, or that's what they represent. So it's, it's starting in the hardship of life and then coming out the other side of it. And you mentioned a playlist and I know that some people have interpreted your writing or added music under it. I was wondering, have you done some songwriting? But people ask me this, um, if I'm a songwriter in the background or I've created songs or, or music with the poetry. And no, I haven't. I've, I've never written a song in my life, but poetry, I guess itself is, is very lyrical. One of the bands that was first reached out to me in the early stages of Pillow Thoughts are those the chain smokers and they reached out and said to me hey like your poetry is very lyrical to us it's kind of on the the same medium I guess so that was encouraging but yeah a lot of people have sent me they've put my poetry to music and they sort of creative they like to get creative it inspires them and I, I love hearing what they do with the poetry. So I think maybe in the future would be something I look at. I've got a novel that I'm working on at the moment that involves the main character as a singer. And I've thought about going down that road of, I guess, working with songwriters and soaking up that experience from them in, in how to turn maybe some of the poetry into, into songs. Because I, I think that that would be a very cool experience, very humbling. I know some interesting songwriting initiatives. There's one, it's a very cool initiative that this woman who's in America does with veterans and also homeless people. And I don't know how it works, but they sit in a room for an hour and a song comes out at the other end. And this is with just people who aren't writers. They're just telling their story. So I thought that was kind of magic to hear about that healing process. 
that I can put you in touch if you want to. <laughs> oh, that would be that would be amazing. I would love that. That would be such a cool thing. It's very, very talented. And and so your latest collection is I want to talk about your novel writing. I want to know what you get from that that you can't explore in the poetry realm or how they complement each other. But what's your latest poetry collection? I hope you stay. Were you going to read something from that? The latest poetry collection is called Watering the Soul. Here is the story of someone I used to know. She would hike every forest trail without stopping to admire all of nature in every detail. She would drive every road, sunrise to sunset, without noticing the sky and all its beauty, impossible to forget. She would hold conversations along the way without pausing to ask the person if they were having a good day. She would rush from one day to the next, eager to move quickly through each and every step. For a fear of choosing to spend her time sitting still, meant that in the end, she would be left unfulfilled. And at first, she did not see that living life like a race and spending every day consumed with such haste meant she had missed out on the beauty of dreaming and learning what it truly means to be a human being. That someone was me and it took some time, but eventually this is what I came to find. For all the moments I've had and all the things I've seen, taking the time to truly be here is the happiest I've ever been. When did you write that? And what was the moment? What was the experience? Watering the soul, I believe I would have started writing that about a year ago now. And I was in the process of buying my first house, um, which was very stressful. So there are a lot of stressful things happening in my life at that time. And I started to think about maybe all of the times I just hadn't stopped and looked around and found gratitude in the things that I already had because I think that that's that's a lot of what we do as as people we're always trying to attain things or tick off new goals and while that's all really important I think when you're so goal orientated it's really important to remember the goals that you have actually achieved and be thankful and and grateful to them and as you I guess, go through this journey of life. It's also important to just stop and notice the things around you. But even if it's something as simple as you go to a coffee shop and you really, you look the person in the eyes when they've made your coffee and you say, thank you, like just different things like that humbles you, but it also has the chance to make someone else's day as well. I think when we rush and we're always rushing, we really forget to do that and we forget to to have that gratitude in life so yeah that's really where that came from I was stressed out and doing a million things and trying to trying to be in three four five places at once and trying to do it all so to speak and I really had to sort of stop and and say you don't have to do it all right now you can just take it a step at a time and, and be grateful for all the things you've already done and speaking of those simple moments of intimacy, you're talking about a year ago and it continues to this day, a lot of that was um, lost during COVID. We just couldn't be, we couldn't see each other's faces. How did you cope with that? I think for myself personally, I can't deny the fact that I was quite privileged through through COVID and, and my COVID experience is probably quite different to a lot of other people because I still had the privilege of, of being able to to work from home. So I was still able to work and I had a, a roof over my head. I still had access to all the things that I needed. But I think COVID for me was really about reflection 
and having that time to reflect and having that time to slow down because the last five years as my career has taken off and as I said I'm, I'm doing a million things I really hadn't had that chance to slow down and just be present and one of the things I did you know I was I was at a, a different property that I'm in now but it had like this outdoor patio and, and I would go and sit in the sun for hours and I wasn't doing anything I wasn't reading I wasn't writing I just sat out there with a, a cup of coffee and I just sat like I just sat and felt the sun and and felt the air and listened to the birds and it was just about being with myself and not worrying about everything that was going on around me but you know then I guess the difficult part of COVID was wanting connections with the readers like I haven't been able to travel because of COVID and get back to back to my readers so the fact that we're slowly coming out of it is a is a good thing <laughs> because the world couldn't have gone on like that for too much longer I don't think but I had first responders in my family so I saw the impact of COVID through them and I guess seeing it through them made made me more grateful for what I do in my life because I was able to really recognize you know my my privilege and that was really important for me to recognize that so I can have that gratitude around it and have that humbleness and I guess be able to use that privilege to help others and to help other upcoming poets. There were a lot of things I found interesting while listening to Courtney Pepperdine when she was talking about how she self-published her own books and became successful. I thought that this was so cool because a lot of writers struggle with publishing their own works. I know that a lot of people don't follow their own writing path because it is hard to become successful in writing. People have said, at least to me, that I should do a writing job plus another job in order to provide for myself. It makes it harder to strive for that goal of wanting to be a full-time writer of sitting at a coffee shop and writing whatever I feel like. But seeing her fulfill that makes me want to try harder in making my goal a reality. When she was talking about poetry in general and how, quote, when people are reading poetry, they are going through a journey. And maybe their journey starts off where they're heartbroken or something hasn't gone to plan in their life. I love this and I find it to be very true. I know for me, whenever I am at a weird point in my life, I turn to poetry. I find it very healing when I'm reading a poem and seeing that poet's journey and story. I think relating to those poets feels very comfortable and it makes the journey that I'm on seem less daunting. When she talked about quarantine and how she would sit outside on her patio and sit there for hours while doing nothing to be with herself, I thought this was definitely something that I needed to try. I usually cannot sit in silence for a long time without doing something. Sometimes when I need time for myself or to be with myself, I would drive around lakes or scenic areas, but I would always have my music with me. Sometimes I would park and start reading a book, but that isn't doing nothing. Those were ways of self-care for me, but I want to try just laying out in the sun doing nothing. It feels like it would be really nice. Now, back to the interview. We did use this time to heal and come closer to our family, and I guess you and your wife came closer to collaborate on things. Well, she was actually studying in that point. So if I had new ideas for poetry books and things like that, I, I suppose she was more accessible to have those um, conversations around the different projects that I was working on. It was nice. I mean, I always have her ear to talk about things, but it was nice to be able to have that 
room to talk about it over dinner or come up with new ideas or, or talk about the, I guess, the future of the road I want to go into, which is I will still continue doing poetry books because I have a deep love for that, but I also want to branch out and do novels. I want to do a graphic novel along the way and things like that and children's books. So it was nice to be able to have that room to sprout off and, and be, I guess, creative ramblings, I suppose, and have like that ear to, to listen to all of that and, and offer support. So you've written Keeping Long Island to speak of your novel. Tell me about the complexities that you can explore in the novel space and what you enjoy about that in terms of the depth of character. Absolutely. And that's a great word, the depth that you can do in a novel. Poetry has immense depth as well, but it's different. And I think with poetry and novels and trying to connect them, it's storytelling at the end of the day. But when you write a poem, you really, I guess, trying to convey a story in a certain amount of words and, you know, convey a story in, in one poem, which is a different set of challenges compared to novels. And I mean, novels have their own challenge as well, but you know, writing novels and being able to have characters, you know, it might, might not have to be one character, it be multiple characters that you're really trying to develop over time. And having readers, you know, you hear it all the time, readers will be reading a book and they're sad to finish it because they don't want to let the characters go. And I guess for me, that really marks, I guess, a, a good writer and a good story is when someone says, I don't want to say goodbye to these characters yet because I've loved reading about their journey. And that's the kind of work I want to get into and, and having characters where people can see themselves in because that crosses over in, in poetry, like with the jellyfish, and being able to really explore the journeys of the character and I guess tell the stories I want to tell and stories, LGBTQIA plus stories and things like that. That's something that is really important to me and, and something that I really want to do. Growing up, there was content out there, but there wasn't a lot of content. And as the world moves forward, more and more content is coming out where young kids in the, in the LGBT plus community relating to these characters and they see themselves in these characters. And that is so important for when you're growing up so that you don't feel alone and, and you look at people or, or characters that are, are successful and they're moving through life in a way that shows strength and they can draw on that strength from them. So that's really the path I want to head down yeah. um, in novels is just being able to, to tell really good stories. What was the first LGBTQ plus character that resonated with you that you encountered in fiction? Actually, I want to make a mention of a TV series that I've just recently watched on Netflix. It was called Heartstopper and it was based on books. And I haven't personally read the books, but after watching the TV show, I'm going to read the books because I haven't felt a connection, I guess, in, in a long time with LGBTQ plus characters in that way. And I think it's because these characters were soft and they were moving through the world in a gentle way. And it wasn't, it wasn't all about their sexuality. It was just how they moved through the world and they weren't defined by it. They just wanted to live their life. And there, there was a line in, in the show about just wanting to live their life. And that really resonated with me because I think a lot of people um, in the community, that's, that's the same for everyone in the world. People just want to be able to live as themselves. 
so yeah, I, I wanted to make a mention of, of that show because I, I really connected with it. It was a beautiful show. We can so easily be stigmatized. People project their ideas onto you and you don't know how you're being received. I don't like the word normalizing. It's interesting when you have books and you play with this also in your poetry where the character isn't even given a name or you don't know their ethnic background and you just experience them as an entity. I think having shows or having books and things like that where the character, I believe stories about coming out are still important because there are many people in the world that cannot come out safely. So I think having those stories is still important. But at the same time, I think having stories where it's not the foundation of the story itself is somebody coming out and maybe they just write my wife or a gay couple, my husband or, or something like that where it's, it's just set. There's nothing around it that has to make it over the top or defined. It's just this is who they are and how they're living their life. And there's something really powerful about that. Like it, it doesn't have to be this hugely defined thing. It can just be I'm here and I'm living and I happen to be gay or I happen to identify this way kind of thing. Those stories, I think, are equally as powerful. I know you have written about those who've had the challenge of coming out and not being accepted, but you've had the kind of positive, supportive family. Yeah. I, as I said, I've been blessed in my life. I have a really beautiful family. I have an amazing friendship support network. People ask me and have asked me over as my career has gone on, what's your coming out story and this and that, because people are, are naturally curious. And for me, it's, I didn't really have one. I was in the kitchen one day and I just said, mom, I like girls. Like, and she said, okay, well, can you pass me the spatula then? It was, it was something that it was easy for me. And I, and I attribute that to my parents as being really open people. And obviously there were conversations around it, but I think the biggest takeaway from that conversation for me is my parents' fear or anxiety or worries were more around the fact of me being able to live my life and for life not to be hard for me. As any parent wants for their child, they don't want life to be hard. As I said to my mom and my dad, I said, it, it doesn't, it wouldn't matter how I identify life is hard anyway. And we all go through struggles, you know, it doesn't matter how we identify, we still experience those struggles. So I was very blessed with the family that I've got and the openness and the acceptance. And my wife and I got married. My wife's family is also very accepting and we're very blessed, very blessed there too. And when we got married in 2019 now, and our wedding was just, I mean, it was amazing. We had so many people there that we cared about and family and friend. And it was just, it was the best day because there was so much love there. So yeah, I, I've, I've been... I've been blessed and I think that that's one of the reasons why when I get questions about my sexuality, I like to convey strength, I suppose, because when people see you being comfortable as yourself and moving through the world, being strong and comfortable, they want to do that too. That's really important to me. It's, it's wonderful to hear these positive, somewhat easy ways of being out of the world. It seems like a greater challenge you might have had if in the past had a heartache, which is addressed in your poetry. Yeah, look, honestly, when I was younger, I was in the blogging world. It was Tumblr, actually. <laughs> so there's a lot of laughs, I guess, shared about that, that blogging platform. But at the end of the day, um, when I was first coming out, I didn't have people around me in the LGBT 
huge community. Like I didn't have that around me. And, and the way that I developed or, or made myself a part of that community was through Tumblr and the people I guess I met overseas and, and traveling. So consequently, a lot of my first loves, I suppose, if that's what you want to call them, were women I'd, I'd met overseas. And yeah, I suppose when you, you're young, you do experience heartache. And, and at the time it can feel like, I mean, to me, it felt like the worst thing in the world. And I'm not going to survive this and I'm never going to find love ever again. And my friend gave me a really good piece of advice. He said to me, he's like, if you just slow down and focus on yourself and concentrate on the life you want, eventually someone's going to come along and they're going to want to share in that life. So you should just concentrate on yourself. And I did. And then I think it was three months later or something, I, I met my future wife. <laughs> Focusing on yourself does actually work. <laughs> but it's very interesting the way you came out through the blogging and exploring through that form, because we're interested in the way the digital world influences our imagination and the way we communicate with each other. What are your reflections on that? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting for me because I guess when we talk about poetry and we talk about Insta poetry, we talk about pop poetry or, or what have you, and a, and a lot of poets, you know, becoming successful through mediums like TikTok and Instagram and posting their work to these social media sites and finding that success. For me, all of this came after I had a book in bookstores. So I really have this, I guess, I guess I have two hats really, because the first hat is very bookstore driven and I really find gratitude in the bookstores getting behind my books because, it, you know, it's, it's the bookstores that, that sell the books and put the book forward. And I've found a lot of success in that. Whereas with so social media, I suppose my, my social media in itself really hasn't taken off in the way, you know, other poets have. To me, trying to navigate the real world, real world versus the social media world has been interesting. But I always look at it in a sense that social media has made poetry and made stories more accessible. And it's made it accessible to people who would have otherwise maybe never stumbled into poetry. I think poetry and literature in itself back in the day was a very, um, it was like a club. It was reserved for, I guess, people of, oh, if you want to call it a higher education and, and quite closed off and things like that. And I think now the way and the direction that it's moving is it's opening poetry up to everyone in the world. And, and that's, I guess, that's the side that I stand on because I, I really believe that poetry and, and stories should be accessible to anyone, no matter, no matter where they are. Yeah, it's it's very important to me to have that accessibility. Yeah, it's really a double-edged sword. That's the positive side about research and accessibility. And I think the other side that interests us as well is developmentally, and because we have conversations with neuroscientists and how the digital world affects us. I don't think we'll ever really know, you know do you put limitations on yourself in terms of that? We do think about the young people who have not had an experience of the world beyond the social media, that they were born right into social media. I think for me personally, there's sometimes a little bit of a disconnect, especially because I, I mean, half the time I don't even know how to run TikTok. And so I feel really disconnected from some of the younger people that 
grab hold of it and then I know how to do this and just run with it, which I think is a skill set in its in itself. And I'm still very much a part of face-to-face meetings. And I guess for me, moving forward in my career and my future, it's navigating how to become comfortable with the virtual world. Because since COVID and the impact that COVID has had, a lot of things are done virtually now. And book signings and, and writing groups and things like that are done virtually. And so it's trying to navigate how to jump on board with that, to not kind of get left behind. But I still think that there's an importance of having face-to-face signings. I'm actually planning a book tour in the States at, at the end of the year because of that need to go and have that face-to-face time with my readers because to me there's just nothing quite like it. I've had experiences in my last tours where I can't remember where I was. It was probably California, but a gentleman walked up to me. He would have been it. He was a father. He had a video camera in his hand. And he said to me, I, I just have to tell you, my daughter was in a, a really bad place a year ago. And then she found your book and I've, I've never seen her grow as much as what she has. And I just want to thank you for that because I was really worried about it. You know, and then he presents his daughter who would have been all of, gosh, she couldn't be any older than 14 or 15. And just the look on her face and the emotions that she was conveying, that sense of responsibility that I feel you you get that from being in the presence of someone being in the presence of their aura and some of that isn't isn't always translated when we look at virtual talks and things like that so I'm the kind of person that believes in balance so I think that there's a lot of positives um, that can be said for the virtual world and social media but there's also still a lot of positives you know for the things back in the day (laughs) like face-to-face meetings and and actually going to bookstores and and having reading groups there with some poetry everything is is indirect it's a puzzle you can't even figure out what's being said but yours are really direct communication and it's so clear it's funny i guess because as i've gone along um in this journey you know my business partner we've started up our own literary agency just for poetry and it's been i guess really interesting to navigate both those hats on one side it's a business hat on the other side it's a creative hat and part of the creative part is wanting to be really artistic and, and do things that are mysterious and do things that make people, as you said, try to put this jigsaw together. But the the business hat that I have says when somebody can't understand something or they can't understand a book, they're less likely to keep reading. And so for me, with my poetry, you can be artistic while being direct. And I think the art lies in simplicity. And I know a lot of people say, this is really simple stuff. And like, even I could write this and and different things like that, which you probably could write it. (laughs) But being simple and and that simplicity is is the hook, I guess, because people read it and they think to themselves, oh, I felt like that. That's, That's how I felt last year or last week, or I'm feeling like that today. And because those words are so simple, it resonates with people. Oh, yes. Simplicity is hard. I think Picasso said he spent his whole life learning how to paint like a child and to say things like in your poetry, there are things I cannot control and memories I can never erase. And in the times I don't feel whole, I will always search for your face. These things resonate with anyone. People wondering, will they ever be loved? We've all been through that. In closing, as you think about as you think about the future and education, the kind of world you like to live in, life lessons that were important to you, what would you like young people to know, preserve, and remember? 
I really hope that kindness is preserved. And I know that might seem a little cheesy, but I really think manners and being polite can go a long way. And people are in such a rush these days and everybody wants to acquire so much and they forget to just be thankful for the little things in life and to slow down and how you move through the world and how selfless you are or holding open a door for someone or just telling someone to have a good day. Those are all things that can have a lasting effect on another person and make them want to be better as well. You know, and and the way, I guess the way the world is now, I think there's still a lot of beauty and goodness in the world, but I feel like there's a lot of greed and we really need to try and combat that greed because otherwise there there won't be anything left here for future generations. And it's about preserving those manners and that kindness and that will to work together. I think the world can be quite divided and when you're divided, nothing really gets done. So that's a lot of what I try to talk about in my poetry as well is, is this togetherness and this unity. And I definitely think young people are at the forefront of that. I've seen how they respond to LGBTQ issues and how they respond to world issues. And there seems to be a lot more unity in young people and wanting to come together and and fight for their generation, which is a a really beautiful thing to see. And I, I just hope that that continues on. Thank you, Courtney Pepernell, for sharing your stories of poetry and hope resilience and healing. Thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. Thank you for having me. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk and Megan Higginbarth with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews Producer and Digital Media Coordinator on this podcast was Megan Higginbarth. Additional Digital Media Coordinator is Jacob A. Preisler. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening.